1: What is up and welcome to the uncontested podcast coming to you live Tuesday, June 6th. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob Niffen. I've got Nick Crane with me.
2: We are oh so close to the draft.
1: It's hey, two weeks and two days. I think we're almost there. More important than Nick though. Special guest on the pod tonight. Uh, the draft guru himself, Adam Spinella, AKA coach spins creator of the box and one podcast, YouTube, uh, Adam, I think you have roughly like eighty breakdowns of players for this twenty twenty three draft already up on the YouTube page. It's insane. Uh, I'm watching videos of dudes I didn't even know existed before you do your your scouting analysis over them. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. i've I've described myself before as a closeted thunder fan. I think i'm i'm uh, I'm ready to walk out and face that in the open now. Love what OKC is building. So glad to be on here and chatting about one of my favorite franchises tonight.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to win some people over with that statement. (laughs) Um, Adam, before we dive into some of the draft coverage stuff, uh, just real quick for some of our listeners who maybe don't know your background as Coach Spins, um, do you mind jumping into a little bit about uh, your coaching background? And then how did that lead you into being this YouTube sensation of uh, scouting and analysis and dissecting guys' games and, and the whole draft sphere?
3: Well, sensation's a little too kind (laughs) here, but, uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Uh, you know, coaching has always been my background. I knew this was something I wanted to do when I was in elementary school and middle school. When I was in sixth grade, I asked my parents to get me an X's and O's whiteboard so that I could draw what I was watching on, on TV and try to become a coach someday. So my playing career ended because of what I call the, uh, The the dynamic duo for me, I was unathletic and horrible at basketball. So high school was the end of my playing days. And I, knowing I wanted to coach, kind of latched on with the the basketball program at the college that I went to, became a student manager, and just caught the itch from there. So I always wanted to establish a, a career in basketball after I graduated. I started writing and trying to cover basketball with my own blog, The Box and One, over a decade ago now. Just trying to get some public information out there about, you know, hey, I I do understand the game of basketball, try to create a portfolio and things like that. But as I moved into becoming a college coach back in 2017, I really saw a need for uh, sharpening my own toolbox in terms of player analysis that as a college coach, I'm going to walk into a lot of gyms, a lot of showcases and scouting events and really need to be able to make snap judgments on players to know what I'm looking for, how they can stand out, how they can help our program. And as somebody who's always written and tried to use the work that I do with, with writing and film to reinforce how good of a coach I can be, I use that as an opportunity to dive more into prospect scouting. So that was right around the time that like the draft express guys ended up merging a little bit more with ESPN and those videos kind of left the YouTube space. So those next couple years, I sharpened my toolbox for player evaluation and scouting right around the time for the pandemic. I think like everybody else out there, I was like, what am I going to do to work from home? I got to make sure that I have some money coming in. And I just leaned into the YouTube channel a lot more made a lot of, of, YouTube scouting reports started to do that more frequently. And what, three years later now, kind of here we are. So it's been an awesome ride and I'm grateful for all the support that people have given me. But I think of myself as a coach first, you know, that is my, my job and my profession. And I always aim to educate, right? Uh, Teacher and coach. and, And part of why I love doing what I do on the YouTube channel is to just grow the game and talk a little bit more about some of the precise things, the minutia that I have gained, because when I started doing this and started falling in love with basketball for something I want to do for a career, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't have this formal training. I needed to rely on a bunch of people to help educate me. I'm just trying to pay it forward.
2: Yeah. As a, as a, uh, basketball junkie myself, um, you've got a, a brilliant basketball mind. I think I speak for everybody when I say, um, appreciate the the knowledge that you put out there in in a bunch of different mediums. It's, it's always good content. Um, I'm sure you get this question a bunch, so I apologize. Uh, in your years of coaching, is there a player or two that you've coached against um, that you would look back and, and think, man, that guy like really made it or was the toughest guy to scheme against or anybody, any big names that you've got up against in your day?
3: Yeah, so last year, I I coach right now. I'm the head coach of a school in Baltimore, Maryland that uh, plays in the same conference as Cam Whitmore. So I coached against him twice next year, which gives me a little bit of a different vantage point for scouting him here. You're kidding. Um, I coached against Jaden Ivey a couple times when he was in Mm -hmm. high school. Trace Jackson Davis, who's going to be in the draft this year. But I think the toughest player that I actually ever coached against, just particularly at the high school level, was Caleb Swanigan. We ended up going on to Purdue, having a career in the NBA. You just don't see high school guys who are that big, strong, and, and have unreal touch the way that he does. So I'll, I'll never forget first play of the game when we're going against Swanigan. We said we were going to double him in the post as soon as he caught it, and he just kind of like drop-step, reverse-pivot, slammed into an and-one on the first play. And we all looked at each other up and down the bench as coaches were like, all right, it's just gonna be one of those days, like nothing we can really do. So he was a little bit different of a guy back in high school, but I, I have been really fortunate to coach against some really, really talented players.
1: What's uh what's the look on your face whenever you go to the gym uh and your team is about to play you're, you're hitting warm or whatever? And Cam Whitmore. I mean, that dude, he's big. And and so so what's the what's the look when he comes into the gym just like, are your guys confident? Are you confident? Is it like, holy shit, I, I'm like, even with your belly button, like what does that look like?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm always confident in some regard. And, and, again, as a coach, I believe that we could find enough ways to put our guys in position to succeed. So, you know, first play when Whitmore came to our place, uh, we were able to draw an offensive foul on him by just understanding some of the tendencies. And, like, we had a 6-4 uh, Division One lacrosse commit who was guarding him and, like, really good athlete going you know, to Ohio State. Like, unbelievable unbelievable athlete but he just looks kind of small out there next to whitmore and uh he's he's built different he is a strong thick physical guy
1: yeah he looks at some of his um his workout tape that's come out recently it's just he is a a large human all right we're gonna dive in with adam over a uh some exercises for the draft before we do that though we're gonna take a quick break and on the other side we'll get
0: started
1: All right, we are back. Okay, Adam, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to play make-believe a little bit. Right. We're going to act as if uh, Sam Presty has lost his damn mind, and he has put both Nick and I in charge of the Thunder Draft. And Nick and I don't know anything. So our first phone call, our phone a friend uh, in the draft war room, the guy that we got on speed dial is you. So we've got a few different scenarios. We're going to give you the scenario. We're going to call you. And then you're going to pitch us on however many prospects you want. It could be three. It could be four. It could be five. It could be two, whatever, uh, on guys that we should consider taking at that pick. So for the first exercise, we are just assuming that the thunder have stood pat. We are sitting at pick number 12. All right. Uh, So pick 12 is on the clock. We've got five minutes to make a decision. Here are the players that are off the board. Uh, Wemby went first. Who would have guessed? Scoot, second. Brandon Miller, third. Amen Thompson, fourth. Jarrus Walker, fifth. Cam Whitmore, sixth. Taylor Hendricks, seven. Anthony Black, eight. Asar Thompson, nine. Derek Lively jumping up into the top ten. And then Grady Dick going number 11. Nick and I are on the clock. Uh, Nick, we probably have some ideas of who we want to draft, but it's time to bring in the expert. Uh, Coach Spins, here's our draft board. We got five minutes. What the hell do we do?
3: Yeah, so a lot of different directions that OKC could go with this pick here. And obviously there were a couple of guys that I'm sure all of us were hoping would still be available here at number 12. But we are prepared to make a really strong pick for the organization. Nonetheless, I look at... Uh, first and foremost, a guy like Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite is a name that we've heard coming up a lot in draft circles. And I'm a big identity guy. I think that regardless of where you're at in your franchise building process, you continue to add things that strengthen the identity and the core that you have. And this Oklahoma City Thunder group is and will continue to be built on character guys first, those who want to live in the gym, continue to be about basketball and be about the right things with each other, have positional size and length, meaning that they're longer than most of the guys that they will end up guarding or that have similar traits to them on the offensive end. And they can handle and create a little bit for both themselves and for others. That There's a shared processing speed that is going to allow the ball to move around on the offensive end and find the guy that needs to take a shot on that possession. I think Leonard Miller checks a lot of those boxes, six foot 10, six 11 with over a seven foot wingspan. So he's definitely got positional length to play the four love the handle and the way that he's able to attack the basket, particularly in transition. I think this gives Oklahoma city a nice rebound and run type of guy to be able to pair in the front court. With some of the different options that they'll have, whether it's Chet Holmgren or in a bench unit where you can play Leonard Miller with maybe somebody like Jalen Williams a little bit more long term. I love that Leonard has touch with both of his hands. I do think that defensively he's going to be a really, really solid player. He's bought in a lot more over the last year on that end. The last 12 months, I keep saying, Leonard Miller has grown more over that period of time than really any prospect that I can remember seeing in a 12 month period, super raw a year ago, playing in Canada against not so great competition did not fare well at the NBA draft combine made the decision to go to the G league and work with the ignite program, man, did it pay off. And I see a Swiss army knife type of defender, somebody who can guard so many different types of positions and really do a lot of the dirty work on that end of the floor. He needs to continue to work on his shot, but I am banking on here in Oklahoma city knowing that we have probably the best shooting coach known to mankind, that if we can get a guy who has legitimate touch and isn't afraid to take open shots, we will be able to work with that. So I think Leonard Miller checks every other box from a fit for the organization, as well as having a great growth trajectory and a lot of upside that he's still yet to tap into.
2: Would there be a secondary guy if if Leonard Miller doesn't have – fan he's not a he's not a guy that the ownership has bought into or or other guys in the front office just aren't fond of who would be your backup option so another name that we're hearing a lot right now whether it's for Oklahoma City
3: or just climbing into this lottery range is Bilal Koulibaly who is playing with Metropolitans over in France a teammate of Victor Weminyama so a lot of scouts have had their eyes on Koulibaly the entire season even if it seems like he's just rising onto the radar right about now. But he's rising for all of the right reasons. It's not just because we're starting to pay more attention to him now because he's one of the only prospects that's still playing this time of year. Koulibaly is 18 years old, 6'6", with over a 7-foot wingspan. Looks like he's chiseled out of granite with his frame and is just incredibly, incredibly strong and fast when he's driving to his right hand. He can get downhill and create paint touches in a hurry. So checking some of those boxes that we have with you know, size, positional versatility, and length, the ability to put the ball on the floor and make decent decisions. I don't love Koulibaly's feel in playmaking as much as some other guys, but the tools to be able to get to the basket and finish off one foot or two and just explode through traffic are very, very rare. I do think that he can play multiple positions on the wing as a result, And we're actually seeing the Metropolitan's program put the ball in his hands a lot more to try to create out of ball screens while they're in the postseason pushing for a championship. You don't see that given to 18-year-olds playing in Europe very often. There's something very special about the upside that he has. He's a long ways away from tapping into it. But if you believe that there's a little bit of feel here and, and that he can continue to develop in that regard, and you believe you have the best shooting coach on the face of the planet to work with him. This is a high, high, high upside type of pick that, honestly, at this point, if all the other guys that I'm really high on are off the board, I could feel comfortable doing here at 12.
2: I've got a draft philosophy or more more scouting philosophy question. Um, We've got not only at the college level um, varying levels of talent, Um, But we now have OTE, we have G League Ignite, we have international play, even international, there's, you know, a a wide spectrum of the level of competition. Uh, I guess two-parter, A, how much do you factor that in to your evaluations of a prospect? And B, how would you sort of stack rank something like the G League Ignite versus college versus like international holistically?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think there are a lot of scouts who have been doing this longer than I have, who will probably have more exact answers in that regard. I always tend to believe in production in professional leagues is going to be the most impressive thing because you're going against guys who are just that much smarter, stronger, more physical, seasoned as basketball players. You can get away with more when you play inexperienced competition. And sometimes at the college level, that's a great thing to be able to evaluate what a guy's ceiling is, how comfortable and creative he feels next to his peers, because eventually he's going to be playing against guys that are his own age. But if you if you have a guy who really produces in a professional league, that to me is always going to be the top of the food chain, whether it's Europe, the G League and the G League Ignite or over in the NBL, which has become a really popular pathway playing over in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I I still think college is a fantastic spot to be able to evaluate talent. And there's, uh, I don't think what gets talked about enough is that that's still a really secure way to know what you're looking at just because scouts have been able to do it for so long and contextualize that information. Where the challenge comes in is looking at guys almost like Koulibaly who have been role players in a professional league. They're not putting up these gaudy stats. They're not getting the opportunity to kind of dominate and play with the ball in their hands a ton is that the projectable role for them that they're just always going to be a role player surrounding other pros or by the time they're go- they're at the same age as everyone else they're playing against, they're going to be able to show more. To me, that's the tougher form of an evaluation.
1: Truly good. Speaking on Koulibaly for a second, you mentioned he's like the hottest name in the draft right now, shooting up boards. I've heard some people talk about like top 10 with him. Uh, the upside, like you mentioned, is sky high. I think you have a really good grasp on the type of team the Thunder's trying to build, especially when you look at recent draft picks of Usman Jang, uh Jay Dub, Chet, Josh Giddy, et cetera, these guys that have like an exceptionally high IQ and feel. I I don't know much of anything. So I want you to kind of poke holes in my in my idea here. But with Bali, I get more vibes of the old Thunder philosophy back in the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook days, which was let's take the longest more Rob freak athlete guy. I think of guys like Andre Roberson or uh, um, Perry Jones, the third or a Josh Hustis, these guys that project to be like really high level, versatile defenders, but they lack some of the feel and the touch and the shooting and they're more play finishers than anything else. That's kind of where I see Kulabali right now uh, in my expert analysis of watching your video, and that's about <laughs> all I have of Koulibaly. Uh, so where am I off on that? Am I off on that? Do you see that, that high IQ playmaking uh, can make a quick decision with the basketball stuff in him, and maybe he's just not getting to show it? Uh, what do you see with that a little bit?
3: Yeah, I don't buy into the feel as being super high. I think that it's probably solid enough that you can play with the ball in his hands and and he's going to be okay. He had a negative assist turnover playing in a a little bit lower of a league earlier in the season before he got promoted to their, their main club. Uh, I don't view him as a, a really high feel type of prospect, but I think that there's kind of two questions that you have to ask if you're Oklahoma city. One is, do we have enough of those guys already on our roster? where the right player to inject now is that little bit of a wild card, that guy who can just go out there and have one really solid skill to live in the lane and thrive off of all those guys as a great cutter, as a guy who we can get the ball to with his momentum already heading downhill. And he's just going to be able to make a play. So sometimes it's really valuable to zig when you zag or when, when it, you know, to zag when you should be zigging, I guess you should say, right. Don't just double down on the same thing we always have inject a little bit of a wild card in the equation. The the second thing I would think if I'm Oklahoma city is you've got to determine at what point you are going to try to fit guys around the core that you already have. And I hate the term fit sometimes in the draft conversation. I think every player is theoretically supposed to fit the organization that drafts them. Otherwise they wouldn't draft the player, but you start to realize the core that you already have in place. And I think that Oklahoma City is getting to the point where they should feel comfortable with the young core of stars that they've already collected. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, hopefully Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddey, great season out of Jalen Williams this year. At what point do you start adding the complementary pieces who tie all of that together? And to me, maybe a really versatile defensive-minded wing who can guard up and down the lineup, just be a havoc razor in terms of how he cuts and moves without the ball pushes in transition. Is that the right type of guy to add into the equation here at 12?
1: I think that's a really fascinating, we're, we're approaching this crossroads for the thunder, especially with the draft on what you just hit on. Like, do you feel like you have your established like guys and now you're filling roles or are they not there yet? And I feel like what they do in two and a half weeks is going to answer that question for us. And so it's really fascinating. One last guy at 12, I want to ask about yeah. uh, before we make you officially make your, your decision at 12 for us, a guy that I love that seems to be sliding down draft boards recently is Casein Wallace. Can you give us the pitch on Casein to OKC as far as kind of what those things that the thunder value are um, and how he compares to maybe a prospect like a Kula Bali?
3: So, Cason Wallace is a professional's professional. I have very little doubt about him being able to stick in the league in any type of role that he is given. And if you know much about Cason Wallace, he's a six foot two, maybe six foot three guard with really long arms and is an MF of a defender, for lack of a better term. Like he gets after it and gets after guys and just has that chip on his shoulder every single time he plays. I think that's a guy that I would not want to play against. Therefore, I typically want him on my team. So, The real appeal of Kaysen is almost being like a Patrick Beverly, a gnat to get under other teams' skin and really frustrate their best perimeter players on defense. You can bring that guy off of the bench. You can start him in different lineups and, and really play versatile around him, but he is a little bit smaller. And if you're Oklahoma City, you have to be willing to commit to potentially playing some smaller lineups as a result of that and not having that positional length one through five. One of the reasons why I love Kaysen and I have a top 10 grade on him is because I really buy into the offense. I think there's legitimate touch and feel that he has in ways that he didn't get to show at Kentucky. And if you look back at the history of guards who've come out of Kentucky over the last decade, they always overperform their draft position in the NBA, and they always show more than they were able to in college. And OKC fans should know that more than anybody with Shea Gildas Alexander, but it's not just him, right? It's Tyler Hero, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey. The list goes on and on. And you know, I could talk for hours about John Calipari's system and how he's kind of delineated responsibilities and doesn't allow guys to do multiple things in the backcourt. But this year, Cason Wallace was one of the few guys who he's ever shifted amongst those roles. He's very clearly delineated of our point guard handles and sets up the offense, our two guard, comes off of screens and is more of a floor spacer. Kaysen did both roles this year and he did them both really well over a two to one assist to turnover ratio. When he was playing that facilitator role shot over 40% on catch and shoot threes the first half of the season when he was in that off guard role. And then he had an ankle injury ended up not shooting the ball really well back injury that followed really wasn't able to get a lot of clean looks once he moved into that facilitator position. I just buy so much of the skills. I buy the person. I buy the work ethic. I like guys who are really hungry and want to compete on the defensive end of the floor. I love Kaysen. I just think if you're Oklahoma City, you take him knowing that he's going to maybe alter the, the lineup configuration that you can go with a little bit.
2: So I think you're probably down to two names. If we gave you the card and you got to write down the name at 12, who are you going with here for OKC?
3: I think I'm going with Leonard Miller. Uh, I think this is too good of a fit between what the Thunder always look for of a, a role player who can come in. And, and we've already seen that this past year with the G League Ignite, how Leonard Miller knows to buy into that role, be a great defender, move the ball, push and transition. And then there's so much untapped upside that you get him with our shooting coach in our program. you continue to develop him over the next couple of years, he can be a really special two-way force.
1: I love it. I think Thunder fans would be super excited with that. And that's a huge front court. Uh, maybe not in in like width or girth, but in height and wingspan. He and Chet, that'd be pretty nasty. Okay, Adam, uh, scenario number two. We've got you on the phone. So we actually decided to trade back. Uh, the Utah Jazz wanted to jump up to 12. Uh, they took Leonard Miller at 12. So the same 11 are off the board. Plus Leonard Miller went to Utah at 12. Uh, Kula Bali went 13, Kobe Bufkin, 14, and then case Wallace went 15. We are sitting on the board at 16th now. Um, I don't know what we got back in the trade for Utah. Let's say they like lowered the protections on the pick for next year. They owe OKC a top 10 protected. Maybe they lowered that to like top four. So we, uh, we got a little bit better asset. We moved back four spots. Some really fun names are off the board. Bufkin's gone. Koulibaly's gone. Leonard Miller's gone. Kaysen Wallace is gone. What do we do here?
3: Yeah, a lot of different options uh, for Oklahoma City. And I think this is one of those points where I, I call it a ledge point in the draft, that there tends to be a little bit of a drop-off of talent in some regard. So if I'm advising Sam Presti here, I'm looking for fits at this point. I think that yeah. what I'll probably do is I'll throw out one high upside guy that could be in the equation here, but – I would much more look for those guys who fit all of the character boxes that we're looking for, as well as maybe some of the positions. Is this a player who can come in and really tie together all of the pieces that we already have on our roster? I'm going to stick with the G League Ignite program for a second and go with my guy, C.D. Sissoko, guy who I've definitely loved throughout this process. I think he continues to be a little bit underrated like a six, six power wing who has one of the the widest set of hips that you'll find. Like he is a bowling ball who just crushes people in contact and lives at the free throw line. As a result, I am a sucker guys for those players who grew up playing the point guard position and then hit a growth spurt.
2: I think if you're Sam Presti,
3: as is Sam Presti, that's right. That's J dub. That's all of these guys that they've had on their roster It allows you to continue to double down on that. Hey, we're just going to put a bunch of really good, smart basketball players out here on the offensive end and trust that our ball movement and continual pressure on the rim is going to be able to figure things out. Sissoko's one area of weakness on the offensive end right now is that he doesn't shoot the ball incredibly consistently, but he has grown 10 percentage points on three-point range over the last year. That is a huge growth to be able to take when you're 18 years old, particularly with the context that it's coming in a professional league. So while there's still a little bit to iron out the mechanics of his jump shot, again, when you're Oklahoma city, you have a strategic advantage over everybody else. You have the best shooting coach in the face of the planet. So I'm going to buy into Sissoko being a great fit here in Oklahoma city on the offensive end, but I love CD on the defensive end, strong, versatile, always competes guards up and down the lineup Loves to rebound and push. He's got a little bit of extracurricular stuff to him and might get like a technical or seven or eight on the season. But again, just another great competitor guy, team first player who's going to be about everything right in the locker room. I would love to advocate for Sissoko here. I'll give you one kind of different name because I I talked a little bit earlier about maybe going in a different direction and adding something to this roster for fit. I think shooting is going to be really important for Oklahoma city moving forward. You've got so many guys that can put pressure on the rim with the ball in their hands. You need a little bit of floor spacing. So as I am looking at the board right now, there are a lot of players available who kind of check those, those floor spacing boxes, so to speak, but none of them do that while having that size and length. It may seem like a reach right now at 16, but if you are convinced that he's the right guy for this organization, Olivier Maxens Prosper out of Marquette is one name that I continue to think about just being an awesome fit in Oklahoma City. Six foot eight, six nine, had an awesome showing at the NBA Draft Combine over a seven foot wingspan. One of the most versatile point of attack defenders that you'll find. He shut down so many different types of players this year for Marquette on the defensive end. Guarded Jordan Hawkins, who won a national championship at Connecticut, and chased him around screens all game so that he couldn't get a clean shot off. Switched on to point guards at higher levels and really did a great job against them. Guarded power wings like Cam Whitmore really effectively in space and turned a great athlete into a pull-up jump shooter. The context around prosper is really, really important. I don't think anyone expects him to play 35 minutes a game in the NBA, average 15 points a game. But if he can come in and be your Swiss Army Knife defensive specialist, someone who plays the three and, and or the four positions, keeps adding that length to his profile and is a, a blossoming catch-and-shoot threat from three, I think that adds a lot of versatility to this Oklahoma City Thunder roster. I told you I was going to give you one last one here, that high upside swing and guy to be able to go to. And you, know, you took those guys of Koulibaly and Leonard Miller off the board a little bit more rayon Rupaire playing for the new zealand breakers yep. this year a lot of times we don't associate role players with being high upside guys but very similarly to prosper there's a lot that he can do on the defensive end six 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 seven over a seven foot wingspan repair loves to guard at the point of attack a little bit more he hounds smaller guards and if you have him giddy and gilgis alexander on the floor You can create terror in terms of how you're able to pressure teams in the full court and even in the half court Rupaire is an elite intangibles guy buys into his role sacrifices to do what's best for the team another one of my favorites grew up playing as a lead guard and has those skills as he's continued to, to hit a growth spurt with his body. Uh, but bought in this year for the New Zealand breakers of playing more of an off ball role, improved a lot as a catch and shoot guy. The numbers don't indicate the growth that he's undergone over the last year and what he's continuing to do during this pre-draft process. I've heard really good things about the trajectory of his catch and shoot game. So if he continues to buy into that role, which by all accounts he is, he's just about winning wants to do what's best for the team. I think that's a great role player to get. So, well, a lot of times you want to make those sexier high upside picks. Like the guy who can come in and add all of the things that you're looking for on offense while being a havoc razor on defense. Like that's all of these guys right here, right? That's Ahsoko, that's prosper. That's repair.
1: As you're talking about them, I'm just thinking about the French national team at like the Olympics. Who the hell is going to score like against that team? Yeah. Yeah, it's just you know. a whole bunch of dudes with seven plus foot wingspans. Oh, and then you have seven, five Wemby back there to block anything that gets past you at the rim. Uh, one other name I want to bring up here uh, just to get your thoughts on, because it's a guy that I think a ton of us know very little to nothing about. Uh, a guy that shut down uh, his basically everything at the combine was going to go to the combine, shut it down. Haven't heard much from him since. There's always the rumor the guy that shuts down at the combine has the promise, right? Uh, Bobby Clintman at a Wake Forest, uh, size, shooting. He's one of these guys that is seems like a good passer as well, especially in his uh in his time playing ball overseas. Maybe not as much at Wake. Can you give us a little insight into him and would he be somebody that we should maybe keep an eye out for? Uh, if the thunder do trade back.
3: Yeah, I think you definitely keep your eye on Clinton because he checks a lot of those theoretical boxes that the Oklahoma city thunder look for. And he has a lot of those traits that I mentioned earlier while having a little bit more proven of a track record as a shooter, uh, you know, Clinton six, eight, six, nine looks a little bit bigger than that long arms. The context is really important for him, you know, came over to America and played high school basketball here was a really terrific shooter, but showed a little bit more with the ball in his hands than he was able to do this year at Wake Forest. You go look at his, his film playing in Sweden for their U18 team and U19 teams really played more of a primary role, particularly in transition, showed a lot of flash with the ball in his hands that he wasn't able to at Wake Forest this year, put all of that together the film from the NCAAs where he was much more of a catch-and-shoot guy, the interesting flashes of ball handling and creation for others, he is a very thundery type of role player. Uh, I have a little bit of concern with Clintman in terms of just how he's able to put that playmaking to use. I don't think he's got great bursts or uh, a lot of what, what I call wiggle, the ability to change speeds and change directions when you put the ball on the floor. I think he's got somewhat heavy feet defensively, so I'd feel less appropriate about having him switch across the lineup, maybe more just with threes and fours. I feel much more comfortable with all the guys I named earlier, Repair, Sissoko, and Prosper, as fully switchable defenders. Uh, But there's a lot of upside to a guy like Clintman because he does shoot it, and he brings some of those modern NBA skills to the table, size, shooting, playmaking ability, and in theory, some positional versatility on defense.
2: So um I realize there's only maybe two true centers that have first round grades in this class. And you haven't talked about any of them. Is that because you're in the camp that you see Chet being the traditional center for Oklahoma City alongside more of a four? Or do you just not love any of the guys in the first round, most notably probably Derek Lively? Um to to fit next to Chet? Like what's, what's the thought process there?
3: So correct me if I'm wrong. Lively was off the board and 10 here in this draft. Yes. And and I would have strongly considered him if he was still around. Okay. Okay, okay. Okay. So uh, first off to your point about Chet kind of being more of a four or a five or a traditional center. I think the traditional playbook has to be thrown out the window when you have a guy like Chet Holmgren because he's such an untraditional type of player. You've got to let him be him and surround him with the type of players that either hide some of his deficiencies or bring out some of his strengths. So what I would love to have next to Chet is a really strong physical presence who can guard fours and fives. And I don't know if I necessarily find that here, the 12th pick or or somebody in the middle of that range. Like there's just not quite enough. Leonard Miller is probably the closest guy that we would be able to find to do it. Um, I think Lively could fit next to Chet Holmgren. And a, a big reason for that is because I think Lively – if you temper your expectations for him provides a lot of real value to Oklahoma city, patrolling the paint being a reliable defensive presence that takes away the physicality from a guy like Chet Holmgren of having to guard the five of having to play against the pick and roll time and time and time again. But as we've seen with a lot of these big men who are more rim bound fives and don't have a ton of offensive skill away from the basket, they get played off the floor in late game situations. I think if you're Oklahoma City and you have Chet Holmgren, you're probably okay with getting a really good center who plays 28, 29, 30 minutes a game and then going with that smaller lineup with Chet at the five and closing minutes anyway. So this is more about adding the right chess piece for both regular season competency and matchup dependence in the postseason as it is about saying like, Hey, we're drafting Derek lively. And now Chet's the four and look at all this. Like, no, it's just another piece to the puzzle that gives your coaching staff a lot of flexibility to win different matchups.
1: Love it. All right, Adam, you get the card for pick 16. You're going to write on it and give it to the commissioner to make the selection for the thunder. Who are we going with?
3: I'm going with C.D. Sissoko. He has been my guy throughout this process. I always buy into those point guards who have had late growth spurts, have those ball handling and, and feel traits. I love his physicality and intensity on the defensive end of the floor. I love his motor. I just think he's a winning player that I would want on my team and in my locker room. So I'm going with C.D. at 16.
1: Love it. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we will do our last Example with Coach Spence right on the other side
5: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me We all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
4: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do?
6: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All
1: right, we are back. Adam, this is the fun one. This is the one everybody's been waiting for. All right. So, Nick and I are in the Thunder War room. Uh, we're calling you early in the night. We're only about 25 minutes into the draft because we have struck a deal with the Detroit Pistons. Pistons are trading back. Uh, we dug into the treasure trove of draft picks. We gave up a lot, but we wanted to get in the top five of this draft. We are on the clock. Wemby is off the board, Scoot is off the board, Brandon Miller and Amen Thompson both gone. And now we are selecting at pick five. There are some very interesting names here. Who do we go with?
3: I'm going to bring two up here because for me, if we're trading up, there are two guys that I am kind of wrestling with and for drastically different reasons. The first is Jarris Walker, the forward out of Houston. Because as I had mentioned earlier, you throw the traditional playbook out next to Chet Holmgren. You just draft good basketball players who bring out the best in him. And I think Jairus Walker is the pristine front court compliment to a guy like Chet Holmgren. Defensively, Jairus, 6'8", 7'2", wingspan, but built like a freaking tank. And this is a guy who you can switch those matchups between based on what you want to do against your opponent. You can have Jairus guard the bigger guy playing different pick and roll coverages be that bigger body to be more physical on the glass against those gargantuan centers in the league and have Chet roam on the perimeter a little bit more as a secondary rim protector. Or you can play Chet in the pick and roll, maybe come out and be more aggressive to switch or to, to hard hedge and, and, and really put pressure on opponents and guards with Chet's length and, and mobility. And you have one of the best secondary rim protectors in this draft class lurking behind in Jairus Walker, pristine help defender does not allow things to get past him at the rim, times up all of his blocks. But more than that, and and things that don't show up in the stat sheet or necessarily always on highlight tapes, he rotates so early on that he takes away rim attempts, that when teams hit the short roll or they're trying to to score near the basket, Jairus is already in position to not just contest the shot, but prevent the shot from even going up. This is such a valuable trait to have in a help defender. So that versatility to do those things, while also having great mobility and hips to guard on the perimeter, which is really important to me defensively. So this is as much of a, we've found the right guy to pair with Chet Holmgren in our front court long term. I would love to have him type of trade. And then on the offensive end with Jarris, he's a lot better of a playmaker than he was able to show this past year at Houston. Uh, really smart, particularly in team context, run actions through him at the elbows, he'll create for other guys, can be used a lot more in the short role or as a screener than he really was at the college level. Just the amount of things that you can do with a Jairus Walker, Chet Holmgren front court on both ends of the floor would have me, for lack of a better term, giddy for what this team can turn into. Uh, So I would love to see Jairus Walker end up in Oklahoma city. And if we're trading up to five, I think that's the guy that I would be targeting there. I will give you one other name. And it's, as I mentioned earlier, just a little bit of that injection of a wild card into a team. It's cam Whitmore from Villanova. We know that this Oklahoma city thunder team has a ton of high processing guys, high field dudes, If they can move the ball around the perimeter enough to let Cam Whitmore just quickly rip and go, he is going to live in the lane. He is going to be the world's greatest dunker, and he's going to have probably 20 a game while shooting 60% from the field. There is a lot of untapped upside for a guy like Whitmore to continue to advance his field and become a better decision maker with the ball in his hands. I think this year at Villanova and what might scare some thunder people away from him not being thundery enough is that he was much more of a catch, hold, survey, and then just attack, put my head down. He tried to score through double and triple teams. He didn't act as a proactive passer when uh, opponents would send multiple defenders at him, but he's so strong and physical that he almost scored half of the time anyway. As I'd mentioned at the top of this podcast, I spent some time coaching against Cam Whitmore when he was in high school. He's really young. He's still 18 years old. And he missed a lot of time due to injuries or different things the last couple of years. Didn't play a ton his senior year because he unfortunately sprained his ankle and missed like a month and a half. About six feet away from me, uh, tripping on a guy on our team, sadly, who closed out to him and he landed on his foot. So I got to live with that one for a long period of time. Uh, But he also had some injuries earlier in his high school career, a COVID shortened season where the league that we play in only had a handful of games that year. His basketball reps and inexperience are not just they're not fully reflected in his age. Like, yes, he's 18, but he has the experience of a lot of these 16 or 17 year olds that are out there right now. So if you buy into the idea that you can develop feel that you can continue to progress guys to make better decisions with the ball in their hands, he can be the ultimate athletic wild card who plays multiple positions on the wings, who turns into a really good shot creator for himself and others someday. And oh, by the way, he was over 40% on his catch-and-shoot threes this year at Villanova. So he does provide that off-ball spacing next to all of the great handlers that we have here. It's not as clean of a fit, but if you're going to go with that high upside guy at number five, which a lot of times you do and you trade up to get best available, Whitmore makes a ton of sense.
1: I love it. Um, Adam, you're speaking my love language talking about Jairus Walker. He's been my guy for the Thunder for quite a while I just envision like high lows on offense with him and Chet. I envision um, his, his short roll ability coming off, you know, setting a screen for Josh Giddy, catching in the short roll, making the quick decision off, off backside cutters. My question for you about Jairus, we know he's got that dog in him. What kind of dog is it though? Like what, what type of animal are we talking here? <laughs>
3: I think that uh, I think that Jairus is a, a hyper-competitive kid. I, I really do. And you know, I don't have a ton of knowledge of Jairus firsthand. I know a lot of people that are in his camp and working him out this time of year. He has spent a lot of time around the Baltimore area where I am right now, played AAU for Team Thrill, which is here in this area. But you don't choose to go to Houston and play for a coach like Kelvin Sampson in college. If you can't take thick, (laughs) constructive criticism, really hard coaching, and you're not just the biggest competitor on the floor every single game, those are the guys who make it in Kelvin Sampson's systems at the University of Houston. For him to go there and then stand out as a freshman to start and earn as important of a role as he did, I think speaks to some of the mental toughness and the competitive nature that he has to him. So I am really not worried about that with Jairus, even though – I can sit there and critique like, Hey man, you're built like a tank and you take a million floaters and you don't get to the basket enough. Like there's some things where I wish maybe you played a little bit tougher. I don't think that means he isn't tough
1: by any means. I think it's interesting. He, he seems like he plays really tough on defense and then kind of shies away from the content, the content contact. There we go. On offense, you you use this earlier. Uh, I'm going to use it here. He's a, he's an mf'er. Like to the ninth degree, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've probably texted Nick and said, "They better trade up and get Jairus. He's the guy. <laughs> uh, I would just be, I would be ecstatic if they took him."
2: So is is that the pick, Jairus Walker? If Oklahoma City traded the capital to move up to five, is that who you're taking at that spot?
3: With the fifth overall pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select. Jairus Walker, the University of Houston. I
2: love it. Whenever that's the pick, instead of clipping Adam Silver for our pod intro, we're going to clip you saying it. <laughs> 100%. And, and make it part of our normal intro. Um, Jacob, I know we want to get Adam out of here in the next three or four minutes. So we know rapid fire, like four, five, six
1: questions we got here. Let's do yeah, it. for sure. First one uh, Who do you think will be the biggest steal of the draft?
3: I am a massive, massive fan of Kobe Brown out of Missouri and Ben Shepard, who played at Belmont this past year. Two kind of thundery guys in some regard, but two that I've absolutely fallen in love with over the last month. Love it. James Naji. Yeah, great question there, Frank. Thoughts on James Naji? A pretty good raw international prospect. I think a lot of times when you're looking at big men who are playing in a professional league overseas, the context is really important. Not going to get a ton of minutes, not going to get a lot of opportunity on on the offensive end of the floor. So throw the stats out of the window a little bit. Love the competitiveness and motor. I think there's some real positional versatility in terms of what he can do against different types of big men. He can guard in the post a little bit. He can play in drop coverage and use his length and great verticality to block shots near the rim. I do think he can switch a little bit and really pressure a little bit more on the perimeter. Uh, Super, super raw on offense right now, but definitely a second-round investable guy. Just don't expect anything from him on offense other than purely catching and finishing near the rim.
2: Yep, I think he's the second youngest guy in this this draft, so definitely very, very raw. Um, Our guy, Carey wants to know who do you think is the safest player? Kerry's been hurt too many times by projects at this point. Uh, <laughs> the, the highest uh, floor guy slash low ceiling guy.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think in the first round range, the forgotten man, a lot of times because he is this very safe pl- pick is actually Chris Murray out of Iowa, uh, Keegan Murray's twin brother. And they play a slightly different style of game, but I think in the NBA, their roles are going to be very similar, like a mistake free Catch and shoot three and D wing Uh, Murray didn't have great shooting numbers this year, but if you dig a little bit deeper into them and synergy sports is great with breaking down play categories, he shot 40% or better the last two years of college basketball on unguarded catch and shoot threes. So if an offense is able to create wide open looks for him, which, Hey, that's going to be his role at the next level. He's probably going to be able to fill that at a really consistent level. It doesn't make mistakes, kind of knows who he is decent length, not a lockdown defender. If he was, he'd probably be in the top 12 or 13, a very solid defender. I just, I have a hard time envisioning him not being part of a rotation somewhere.
1: Uh, Next one. Do you think a guy like Rupert would be able to flourish on the center team with all the other players who need developmental reps, uh, a la Usman Usman Jang, Alexei Pokashevsky, you've got Trey Mann. Uh, You've got a lot of guys who are kind of in that project stage. Would Rupert be able to break through and get minutes? Is he more of a G-League guy year one? I think pretty much anybody that Oklahoma City would draft
3: who doesn't shoot the ball right away is probably going to be a G-League guy year one. But instead of talking specifically about repair, like I think this is a lot more of a Sam Presti and an organizational flexion point kind of question. They have developed and gotten so many of these younger guys over the last couple of years and been stockpiling talent that floats back and forth between the thunder and the G league. You can't keep adding talent to that and not seeing those younger guys who have already been doing it for the last two or three years, start to move on to the NBA. Like this is more about Jang and Poku being in put up or shut up time. They need to be able to find minutes for themselves in an NBA rotation or not necessarily be the guys that long-term are going to block the pathway for the newer draft picks that we're adding like Ray on repair or anybody else at Oklahoma city would get. So for me, this is a lot more of we've had Poku, we've had Jang. You need to show progress. You can't blockade the way for the next couple of picks that we have here. So we're either using you or we're losing you.
1: I love it. I think that's kind of the point where they're getting to as well. This roster doesn't have those easy. It's time to cut somebody because we're at the roster limit. Like those decisions get harder and harder as we move on. And Presti has said, they're not afraid to bring a lot of guys into camp and you're going to earn your spot. And I kind of love it hundred percent. Adam, we have kept you for way too long. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, before we get you out of here, will you plug where people can find all of your stuff as we lead up in these last two weeks before the draft?
3: Well, thank you guys for giving me just another excuse to talk about the thunder because I love this organization <laughs> and I love this team. Uh, and you guys have a, a great show here and really appreciate you having me on your platform uh, for anybody that's interested in finding more of my work. You can find me on Twitter at the box and one underscore it's where I link to all of the work that I produce. So my YouTube channel, Adam Spinella, which has over 50 full length scouting reports and many more coming here over the next couple of weeks. My Substack page, the onesubstackcom which has the written companion to it. I like to think of the video as showing and the, the written scouting report as illustrating what it means, because I think the context of those two is really important to pair together. So I would, would really encourage people to check out those two in tandem. And you can also find me every Sunday night uh, recording with Sam Vecini over on The Athletic at The Game Theory Podcast, who's one of the best draft analysts out there. And we just have a really fun time talking to us. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, man. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on to spread the Jairus Walker propaganda. Uh, that's really what we're here for. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we look forward to all the stuff that you're going to drop before the draft and after the draft. Uh, we might have to steal you again at some point to talk about who they picked and not try to project who they will pick. So that'll be fun as well. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your week. We will be back on Sunday week and a half before draft. It's almost here, baby. I'm ready. I am ready. Uh, Thank you again, Coach Spins, and uh, everyone else. Have a good rest of your week. We'll talk soon. Until then, thunder up.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in,